You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr, episode 32 with the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Whether you're a UFC fan or a WWE fan, this podcast is for you and if you're neither, you can still learn a lot from this former UFC champion and WWE intercontinental champion because what we do on this podcast we learn from the greatest sports stars in the world and that's exactly what Ken Shamrock is and we learn about all different things from health to nutrition to routines which you can use if you're a wannabe athletic superstar or if you just want to improve in your everyday life we learn from the very best every single week and it was a real pleasure to have Ken on this week's show I'm a huge wrestling fan a huge WWE fan so it was great to have our first wrestling star on the podcast and you know a lot of people say oh wrestling's fake wrestling isn't real you know get real people we all know it's predetermined it's like telling someone that Santa doesn't exist we all know it but it's the art of the storytelling and it's the art of the athletic ability and endurance and skill that goes into putting on an amazing show you don't go to the theater and go oh but it's fake or oh but you know what's going to happen at the end it's the journey it's the storytelling which these characters these stars these athletes take you through and it's the emotional involvement you get by watching them you know when you know it's it's two people just what you would consider fake fighting you'd be like oh I don't really care but it's when those stars those athletes draw you in make you care even when you know that it's predetermined that's what is the beauty of professional wrestling and I've had that on many occasions at things like Wrestlemania and SummerSlam events I've traveled to the United States to watch so This is a really good podcast with Ken Shamrock. We do talk about wrestling, his time with The Rock and Bret Hart and Owen Hart, The Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, all these different names he mentions who he enjoyed being in the ring with. And we also talk about his success in UFC when he became the first UFC super fight champion, beating Dan Severin at UFC 6. We talk a lot about his training and his routine, all involved for some of the biggest fights in his career. It's really interesting and he's very strong on his view that steroids should be allowed but regulated in professional sports. 
Some people consider his views controversial. We get into all of that on today's podcast. Please have a listen and tell me what you think. You can do that on my Twitter at Richard underscore Parr. You can leave a comment on my website. That's richardparr.net. Or you can also leave a comment on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash best in the world with Richard We'll be getting to that interview with Ken in just a moment, but I want to tell you that this week's sponsor is Sportachino. It's a brand new online sports breakfast show. It will be broadcasting live at 8am UK time on Facebook Live. To be able to watch it, all you've got to do is like the page on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash Sportachino. And from 8am UK time, you will learn all of the latest trends in sports, health and nutrition. And you will learn from some of the greatest sports stars, journalists, coaches, psychologists, you name it. Any facet in sport, we will be delving into it on Sportachino every single weekday morning from 8am UK time. That address, again, is facebook.com forward slash Sportachino. They are the sponsors of today's show. And just to let you know, I am hosting Sportachino and I am hosting the best in the world with Richard Parr. So we're going to get on to that. We're going to get on to my interview with the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous man. Welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr. Your last MMA fight was back in February. Do you plan to fight again? Um, there's nothing on the horizon. Um, I know that uh, uh, I made a big push for a rematch uh, with Hoyce, um, and I haven't heard anything back from that. So I'm assuming that, um, one, Hoyce is not going to give it to me. Um, so... It is what it is. I move forward. Um, we'll see what happens in the future. I haven't walked away from fighting, but uh, I'm definitely waiting for the right opportunity and the right fight. And obviously, you're, you're in your 50s now, and you're still in incredible shape. When you don't have a fight scheduled, is it difficult to motivate yourself to go to the gym and stay in good shape, or is it just something that's ingrained in you still? No, especially as, as you get older, um, you tend to want to kind of just um, lay back and just uh, let all the work that you've already put in kind of do the talking for you. But it doesn't really work like that. So I have to motivate myself to at least go train at least a couple times a week to stay in somewhat in the shape that I'm in now. Um, I don't want to I don't want to go um, for weeks and weeks at a time without working out, because if I do that, then all my old injuries um, and things that I've suffered through my career will just get worse. So I want to stay fit. What do you know now with all of your years of experience as part of your training routine that you perhaps wish you'd known when you first started fighting? Well, I would probably say um, really knowing how to put muscle and, and, um, and gain and lose weight, have more knowledge of that because I never really in my, in my lifetime ever really had to uh, lose weight uh, because I'd always wrestled or I fought um, with with no weight classes 
And then when they put weight classes in, then I had to learn how to lose the weight but yet stay strong. And I made a lot of mistakes uh, when they actually implemented weight classes. I didn't do as well as I did when I just fought at any weight where there was no weight classes. Um, so it was really an adjustment for me to learn how to cut weight and stay within a certain amount of weight in different weight classes. For those who've never tried to cut weight before, just how difficult can it be ahead of a fight? Well, I think it's really difficult because when you look at it and you're going to cut weight, you're thinking, oh, I can make that weight. I could lose that weight. And then when you actually try to lose it, you don't understand that a lot of things that you do that are successful in your grappling or your punching, you decrease in your power and your strength and even in your quickness. Um, you, you lose some of that um, reaction time and quickness because of the weight loss and the not used to having the type of weight that you normally had on or having to put weight on, depending on what, what you're trying to do. It does affect your skill sets. And I think when you're not used to doing that, like, for instance, when they first put the weight uh, classes in, a lot of people, including myself, had a hard time trying to separate what was the strength and the weaknesses, whether you were gaining or losing weight. Hmm. So with that in mind, uh, our, our listeners are always really interested to hear what the top sports stars do for nutrition and diet. What What are the big no-nos for you? And, and what are, what would be, say, a, a super food for you? What is the food you always rely on before a big fight? Well, I think the biggest thing for me is balancing out the white meat and red meat. I think for me... Um, and especially trying to keep the energy levels up is being able to at least eat the red meat three times a week. Uh, and um, then also eating the white meat as much as I wanted chicken, fish, any that was fine. So for me, it really was just making sure that I balanced out my red and white meat other than the pastas and the rices and the potatoes. I didn't have a problem with that. I could eat that anytime I wanted to because of my metabolism, but really making sure that I got the red meats in. Mm, no, that's interesting. And I've seen you've been quite strong on, on the use of um, steroids in professional sports. Maybe for some of our listeners who haven't heard your, your views before, do you think that steroids should be allowed in, in sports such as MMA, UFC and, and, and other competitive um, sports? Well, really, it's not about it being allowed. I mean, all along, I think I've stated my case uh, on, I believe, the advantages of, of being able to, to have that in there. Um, but really, I think the thing that people are missing is the reason why I believe that they should be allowed is one is, is I don't, at least from everything that I've understood all the way up to this point in time, is that you really don't know who is or isn't using them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could go into a fight and be clean like I did when I first came back to the sport, I believe that they were testing. And so I came back into the sport and I watched people go from 225 pounds down to 205 pounds and then the night of the fight be back up to 225 again and here I was walking around at 201 pounds because I went from 227 down to 205 and so I just saw the unfairness um, of people who really wanted to abide by the rules and and not use um, and then see that how un unbalanced it was when it came to testing and trying to weed out the actual use of of these drugs 
So for me, I said, well, you know, if they're not going to be able to, to get it completely out of the sport, then you're always going to have people who want to do the right thing go up against people who aren't doing the right thing because there's enough money there for them to find ways to cheat. So I thought to myself, you know, it's here. It's been here since the Olympic Games in, in Greece uh, back in the old days. Um, it's been around. It's always been around, and it probably continue to keep being around because there's always ways to find ways around drug testing. So I thought, you know what? Instead of trying to fight what's been around forever, why can't we just regulate it? Why can't we just allow it in a healthy manner where people are going to have to be under a doctor's care and that they have to stay under a certain amount of levels uh, that is going to be a, a, a safety um, thing? And also, too, making sure that they're using the proper drugs that are going to allow your bodies to stay healthy and not hurt your bodies. So for me, like I said, I think it's just the way the system has been been since the, the Olympic Games. It's always been there. It's been there. It's here today. So I think it's the unfairness of the actual system itself to be able to weed out people using it. So if they can't weed it out, which is shown to be the case, then let's bring it in and regulate it. Hmm. With, with that in mind, do you think it was a good thing that these Russian hackers have revealed the medical records of athletes such as Serena Williams and Simone Biles? And do you think really that if an athlete is going to be in the public eye, that perhaps nearly all of their medical records should be open to the public anyway? Is that something which maybe could be another way of doing this? Well, I do, but you know, it's like this, all those people that get caught, it's funny how all the people stand up and start pointing fingers at them, and I'll bet you a dollar to a donut that they were doing the same thing, they just didn't get caught. Uh, it's funny to me when you have guys stand up and say this, and this is the one thing that you can count on that's probably true, is when someone stands up and said, say, well, we, we've been tested all the way through whatever it was, we, like the Olympic Games. Guys say all the time, well, we were in this, this system and they tested us when we were in the Olympics. It's like, okay, I've been tested and everybody else has been tested, but does that mean you're not using? It doesn't. It just means you found a way to get around the system. So when someone tells you that, more than likely they've used. When someone steps up and says, I've never used steroids in my life, then you have to take them at their word. But the possibilities of them using and being at a high level is very, very, very true. So for me, it's like this. It's here. It's been here since the original days of the Olympic Games. And it's here today. So, and we keep saying that we're going to get it out. We're going to get it out. We're going to get it out. But yet it's here. And people keep saying over and over again how they're not using. But you see a guy go from college sports and he puts on... 25 pounds of muscle and yet you look in the future in the past of basketball players and what their physiques used to look like then you look at them today and everybody wants to say it's the training and it's the food and it's the diet and the regiment really that many guys at that level are all being able to put that kind of muscle on please people pull your heads out of the sand and the only people that they tested when they went after professional sport, was baseball of all sports? <laughs> really? Baseball? Mm. Do you think part of the problem of the current drug testing is that the list of banned substances are too long? Like, for example, Maria Sharapova, 
um, got caught using meldonium, which is a drug which she'd used for 10 years before. Do you think they need to stop worrying about other, um, other drugs and other things which could perhaps be contained in food and concentrate on maybe a, a smaller list and, and, and really weed out the people who are trying specifically to cheat? Well, yeah, but look at it this way. It's like for me, I'm, I'm 52 years old. And I started in on pain management and I started in on a hormone balance when I was 38 years old. 36 years old was my first experience with it when I went to a doctor because my levels in my body were not normal. So I went into a doctor and I started getting under a doctor's care. Whenever I had a fight come up, I had to use alternative medicines in order for me to be able to stay at least halfway balanced. It didn't work as well as the stuff that I was using from the doctor. But I had, because I was being tested, I had to come off and go on some natural substance, which was fine. It was what it was. But this is where it bothers me is, is the fact is, is that you can do something that's healthy for you, that's going to keep you safe, but yet they're telling you you can't do it and it's unhealthy for you not to. So same thing with the people that are coming up using some of these things that um, really doesn't have much of an effect on it, but yet they're saying you can't use it. So there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts when it comes to this subject. And like I said, I think that if they stop trying to focus on all these little little things in there and just go, listen, there's a certain things that you're able to do and you're under a doctor's care. And if your doctor is going to be under this and is going to say that you can be on it and you're at a safe level and it's healthy for you, then it should be allowed. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. 
We'll be back with Ken in just a moment, but I want to tell you that also today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. They've got over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You know it's a product I personally use. I love to listen to it on my walk to the gym, in the gym, when I'm on the train, when I'm driving a car. I love to listen to audiobooks because a bit like listening to The Best in the World with Richard Parr, it is a place where you can get smarter. You can listen to some of the greatest thinkers and sports stars and everything else to do with books in the world on Audible. I personally use it, as I mentioned, I'm currently listening to Creativity Inc. It's the story of how Pixar was formed and all about its company culture. Of course, they made movies such as Toy Story and all of the other great animated movies. So it's a really good listen. I haven't completed it yet. I'll tell you when I have and I'll tell you what my Richard Parr rating it is. But if you want to get a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial with Audible, all you've got to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best for your free audiobook download and free 30-day trial. And by helping yourself, you help me because by clicking that link, by giving it a trial, you're helping support the show because they are a sponsor and we need your help because we bring the show to you every Wednesday for free. So that link one more time is audibletrial.com forward slash best. Okay, let's get back to my interview with the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Let's talk a bit more about you and, and what made you so amazing. And in particular, before a fight, what would be your pre-match ritual? Well, normally I would get up in the morning. I would definitely get a good breakfast between oatmeal, eggs. Sometimes I'll have steak, depending on how I feel. And then I would eat again mid mid between uh, mid-afternoon and mid-morning. I'd eat again, um, normally some oatmeal, maybe a chicken breast. And then for lunch, I would definitely have a chicken breast, salad, fruit. Um, and um, then my next meal would be lunch. Um, and I would do the same there with chicken breast, fruit, salad, um, or maybe vegetables, depending on what I felt like. And then in the evening, three days a week, uh, instead of having the fish, uh, I would have steak, the red meat. And I would eat that along with, this, with the balanced meals of carbohydrates, whether it's rice, pastas, mashed potatoes, depending on what it was, vegetables and some fruit. And I would eat that twice at night. Um, so that way I'd get at least five to six meals in a day. Hmm. And, and on the day of a fight, were you someone who would listen to music? Would you visualize what you were going to do in the octagon? How would you be in those few hours leading up to a fight? And would you be nervous? No, I, I was really never nervous other than that when I was injured and I felt like I was at a disadvantage, I'd be a little bit nervous on that. But majority of the time it was a fight, you know, I mean, what's to be nervous about? You know, you go in there and you, you, get, you get your job done and, you, and you're done. So for me, it wasn't much about that. But I would say my plan up to it, I know at least midday I would have uh, my mom and a few other people who were there um, worshiping with me, we would do church and have some music there. And we'd uh, just kind of just, you know, do what a normal thing would be is just uh, 
have our little church and get prepared, um, you know, uh, with, uh, with where I needed to be mentally and physically. And then after that, you know, I just chill out watching, you know, movie like Braveheart or, or something, you know, where it gave you that warrior type <laughs> feeling. So I love movies. So I love to watch movies prior to an event. Then when I would get to get to the event, I would listen to some music and then I would start just kind of going over my, you know, my ifs, ands and buts about the beginning of the fight. If he does this, if he does that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. So I'd have all the scenarios kind of mapped out in my head as I would walk in. Sometimes it wouldn't work out that way, but I was always ready for the unknown. So come on, what's your favorite movie? Uh, my favorite movie of all time is oh. Braveheart. Ah, that's a good one. I, I love Gladiator, and, and the Rocky movies are always motivating as well. Yeah, Rockies were my favorite until Braveheart. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a, Ro a Rocky two man. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I like I like those. I like the first one because it really was it it it, it kind of it tells a story and and not quite as much, but it does almost. Um, it is who I am. I am the Rocky. Hmm. And that's where I wanted to go with this uh, conversation next. Now, everyone wants to be involved in mixed martial arts these days, the UFC, because of the money and the fame involved. But that certainly wasn't the case for you. You were part of the first UFC. So how did you come across getting into the sport? Well, I was already fighting over in Japan, and I was very successful over there. I was the first foreign champion over in Japan, actually the very first MMA champion in Japan um, in the Pink Race organization. And uh, I heard about it through one of my students uh, in the Lions Den. He saw this flyer about a no-holds-barred event. Well, to me, no-holds-barred didn't really mean much but pro wrestling, you know, like uh, there was always the entertainment value. And so I didn't think much of it, and I just had him call and find out what the rules were and just to kind of follow through to see whether it was the real deal or not. And um, once we got into it, I called Art Davies, and Art Davies told me, hey, no way, it's the real deal. Um, and they wanted to know who I was and what my status was, and I told them I was a champion over in Japan and that we had done mixed the stand-up in the ground. And so he called and checked it out, and half hour later he calls me back and tells me I'm in. And uh, that's how I originally first heard about it. And... Hmm. Um by UFC 6, you became the first UFC Superfight champion. What are your memories of that fight against Dan Severin? Well, I remember going into the fight. Dan had, you know, done really well there. That uh, he was a guy just going through people. He was big. He was a strong. He was a good wrestler. And he was able to just wrestle a lot of guys into submission. <clears throat> so I remember uh, he, he had actually qualified to fight me um, for the fight. And it was actually the very first uh, belt that they were they were handing out it's a single fight belt and uh so i remember he won the tournament the ultimate ultimate which is all the winners throughout the year who won the tournament would then go into a tournament for all the winners and he won that so he had been the number one contender which is the first time there was able a ranking system where two guys fought each other that were actually ranked number one and number two and uh, Dan was ranked number two. And, of course, I was the champion at the time because I had put a beating on Hoist Gracie. So I ended up being the champion there. 
And then Dan had won the ultimate ultimate. And so we had fought. And I remember when I went in there and fight against him, I knew that he was big and he was strong, but I knew he loved to shoot, take people down. And so my whole uh, training was to catch him in on the shoot and choke him with a guillotine. And I remember I attempted the first one and missed it. And then I got the second one. I was able to lock it in and finish him. Mm. And became the UFC super fight champion. Amazing. I always have that place in history. And then UFC 7, you face your friend Oleg Taktorov. Now, how difficult is it to mentally prepare against someone who's a friend, someone who you know well? Because, you know, in fighting, you're, you're there to fight someone. You're there to effectively almost try to kill them. But then you're going in there trying to face someone you know. Is that hard? And how do you prepare for that? Well, it was hard. Now, it's the reason why we didn't have a finish to that fight was because, and I know this sounds kind of weird, but but I felt like the only way that I was going to be able to beat Oleg without doing any damage to him was to knock him out because I knew if I got a leg submission on him that he wouldn't tap and then I would end up breaking his leg and he would be out for a year uh, or even longer depending on how severe the break was. So I knew he wouldn't tap. And so in my mind, because I had, I was representing him to go over to Japan to fight, um, and he was under a contract with me to go over and fight in Japan, and I was making a percentage off whatever he made over in Japan, I didn't want to ruin my commodity because I knew he was a good fighter. So instead of trying to submit him, I tried to knock him out, which um, didn't. he was just as tough trying to knock out as he was trying to submit. Um, but uh, I ended up winning. I believe I won the fight, even though they called it a draw. I pretty much dominated him. His face blew up. I thought he had brain damage, uh, but he came through it okay. But that really, really was the reason why I didn't go for submissions in that fight with him was because I didn't want to do too much damage to him and then not be, have him be able to fight again. Mm. Now, I know you most famously for me growing up, watching you for WWE, WWF at the time, as a professional wrestler now with wwe of course uh, you you have it planned in advance who's going to win who's going to lose etc how difficult would it be for you to adjust from going from the ufc to wwe wwf where you're not actually wanting to really physically hurt the other person well I don't well for me I, I I adapted pretty easily. I think the hardest part wasn't necessarily me going in there and being able to do it. I think the hardest part was for me to get those people that I was working against to trust me, to know that I wasn't gonna go in there and actually do anything to them, you know? So um and it took probably a couple months for me to talk to guys and work with them a little bit for them to start loosening up and get comfortable with me that I was here to um, learn the craft and be the best I could be and to be able to work as a unit, as a team. Um, and I wasn't out to try to be a hero or anything like that. I just wanted to do my job. Was there anyone in particular who saw you make that change and took you under, the, under, your, under their wing even? Yeah, Bret Hart was one that um, I went to when I had my first match with Big Van Vader. And I worked with him um, in Calgary for a long time, and he really he really helped me understand how pro wrestling worked, how to get my character across, how to work with somebody like Big Van Vader, how to work with people who came in and had different types of styles, and for how for me to be able to use what I know um, and work with them on what they know to put a great match together. 
Brett really helped me out tremendously with that. Mm, and of course, one of the famous matches in your wrestling career was the uh, family dungeon match at the the Hart family house. What was that like? And, and how much did you enjoy working with Owen Hart? It was awesome. Owen was a, in my opinion, was one of the most underrated characters in pro wrestling. He, I don't because of his brother, he was so good. Uh, Brett was so good, and that Owen I thought was just as good, but never really got the push that Brett did. Um, but uh, I really believe that if Brett would have been around longer, that he would have been up there with his brother as one of the greatest wrestlers in, in, in WWF history. Mm. And other than that match, do you, do you have an, uh, a favorite match in your WWE career? Well, I'd have to say with The Rock, that the, the program that I worked with him um, was probably some of my favorite matches only because we got to work together for a while and build a program and have a lot of history uh, going into our matches. But I said there are a lot of one that sticks out in my mind are matches with Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker. I mean, you name it, man. I got to work with some of the biggest names in pro wrestling. And so those, like I said, those are all always going to be ones that I will remember because I was in such a short time and I was able to work with some of the top stars in pro wrestling. Mm, they're the real legends of of, of that sport and, and so are you and I, I in fact i remember um your program with the rock i think there was a moment where you were on your knees and he smashes you over the head with a chair uh yeah incredible um so what did you think of cm punk's ufc debut i you know everybody wants to judge cm by myself or by brock but you can't do that because CM didn't have the history and the background that uh, Brock had or that I had, where we had experience in in a uh, in the grappling at a very high level. Um, Brock being in the Olympics with wrestling, so and he was a big, strong guy. So for him to go in there and be able to do what he did when he first went in, which was basically 500, it wasn't like he went in and. He dominated the sport. He, he went in there and he was ba- basically a 500 fighter where he had lost as many as he won. So, and he did get the title, but you're talking about a heavyweight class that was very limited at the time. He did what he did. Brock was great at doing it. Um, but again, like I said, his background was basically a wrestler and he was big and strong and able to hold guys down to win fights. Um, myself, I had the experience already over in Japan. And so I was able to you know, go into pro wrestling and then go into the mixed martial arts because I had already had the experience. CM Punk doesn't have any high caliber experience in grappling or wrestling other than pro wrestling. So for him to go in and, and be put at that level at, the, at this stage in his, in his life was really at a disadvantage, more at a disadvantage than myself or Brock. So for people to try to compare him to us or anybody uh, other than himself is unfair because he didn't have the experience that I had and that Brock had. So I think they put him in way too high. They've had him fight somebody that he shouldn't have been fighting. He needed to go in and fight a couple dark matches, guys that had the same experience as him and the same amount of years as him so that he could build himself up slowly without being on TV, without being in the limelight, Give the guy some experience in the ring. Give him some experience against guys that are at his level and allow to build him up at a slow level 
and let him be able to get to a point where he can go in and fight in the undercard. But he was thrown in way too fast because of his reputation and because of his popularity. He was put in way too soon and way too fast and way too high with the different fighters that he had to fight. Now, with all of that in mind, and you mentioned some of the great superstars you had programs with, were there any there which you think could have made the crossover to UFC from WWE? Well, I'm sure there's you know guys that uh, were just tough guys that would have went in and been able to done pretty good. But it's no different than what CM Punk did. It's the same thing that's going to happen. Is the experience is not there. You don't have the experience to be able to go through all three facets of MMA, which is kicking, punching, and grappling. There's a, those three facets, and there are things that you are very hard to learn and being put in uh, on a main card, whether it's the undercard or not, you're fighting way, way too, too much experience for you to go in at that level. So, yeah, I believe these guys could have done something in the UFC with a lot of tough guys there. But the same thing I say with CM Punk, with anybody else. If you don't have world-class wrestling experience, a world-class boxing experience or kickboxing experience, you can't go in there and fight in the undercard. You've got to start out at the very beginning and start fighting guys that are basically got one, two, three years of fighting under their belt so that you can build yourself up to prepare to get to fight on the undercard. Mm. Now, I know we've only got a few minutes left, so I actually wanted to talk uh, about something away from wrestling, away from UFC. And one of the things when I was doing my research about you, Ken, was I saw an amazing TED Talk you gave about Save Our Children and the commitment to to troubled kids. How did that that come about, that passion you have for that? Well, it becomes because I was one of those kids. I I was in in, uh, a ward of the court, which means the judge was my parent the system was my parent because my i didn't have parents so i went into the the placement under child care and i went through a bunch of different homes and stuff and i basically ended up at a place called the shamrock boys home which really took me in and and helped me uh grow up i I went there when i was 13 uh after i was placed at 10 years old uh i ended up at the shamrock boys home and that's really, really where I got, had a home. There was 18 other kids there. And uh, I started learning, you know, going to school, getting good grades, uh, playing sports. I started to learn how to live in society. Um, but still, I never really had, a, had parents. Um, so uh, it, it, was, it was definitely something hard, but yet it was what it was. That's where I was at. So for me to be able to give back because someone gave back to me to be able to go out and help these children and and help even parents to understand um, that they can also make a difference uh, by adopting kids and by helping kids if uh, if they have the opportunity to do so. Uh, It's not the government's position or even their responsibility to save our children. It's parents and people who don't have kids who want kids to adopt to be able to reach out and help the kids that don't have anywhere else to go, to be able to help them. And so, again, it's not the government or the state or anybody else's responsibility, but ours as parents to help kids. 
Mm. Well, I think that's a beautiful way to end this uh, chat with you, Ken. Just before we go, perhaps you could give us um, any contact details on Twitter or any kind of social media so we can keep following your inspiring words and, and the great work that you do, not only with uh, your commitment to, to kids, but also with your thoughts on wrestling, UFC and other things. If you could give that to us, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I've got all my social media contacts on my website, kenshamrock.com. I've got my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, I got it. So contact me on kenshamrock.com. We look forward to it. Thank you so much for your time today, Ken, and thank you for being the best in the world. Hey, thank you. I appreciate your time. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Thanks again to Ken Shamrock for being on the show. I think we'll all agree we've learned a lot from Ken today on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Real pleasure to have a wrestling hero of mine, but also a real superstar from the UFC. One of, I think you could say, one of the founding fathers of the sport. But Ken isn't the only MMA star we have had on the podcast before. If you go back, you can listen to one with Ben Askren. He's part of the One Fighting Championship. If you enjoy MMA, you'll enjoy my chat with Ben. And we've got lots of different other sports stars we've spoken to on the show. Please go back and have a listen. They're all really, really interesting. Liz McColgan, the former long-distance runner, you might enjoy that. We got really good reviews on our most recent podcast with Nathan Adrian, the Olympic swimming champion. That's a really good podcast if you want to listen to it. There's so many there. They're all on richardparr.net. They're all on iTunes. And when you go to iTunes, if you could give me a rating and review, I'd really appreciate it. And speaking of iTunes, I was actually on someone else's podcast in the last week. It's called Amateur Traveller. It's on iTunes where I talk about my time living in Qatar. I believe it's episode 530, hosted by Chris Christensen. It's Amateur Traveller. It's on iTunes. Have a listen. Tell me what you think. Well, that's it for today's show. We'll have another great start, another world Olympic champion, world number one, or former world record holder on the best in the world next week. But until then, Have a great week. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 